You're listening to Golf Yeah, your masterclass in the lives, lessons, and aspirations of people who've built successful businesses and rewarding careers based on their love for the game of golf. Whether it's the obstacles they faced, the success they've achieved, or advice they offer, Golf Yeah provides the motivation and blueprint to convert your passion for golf into a full or part-time endeavor. Or maybe you just enjoy hearing stories from people who know a hell of a lot about the game. Either way, let's start exploring the business side of golf with your host, Gordon Andrew. In the tradition of golfing legend Old Tom Morris, Woody Lashin is a master club fitter. And decades before the national multi-location companies like Golf Tech got into the club fitting business, Woody and his partner, Pete Mikowski, were providing golfers with the equipment they need to play their best. In fact, their company, Pete's Golf, located in Mineola, New York, after more than 75,000 club fittings, is celebrating its 40th year in business. Similar to old Tom Morris, Woody is also an accomplished golfer, and he competes regularly in amateur tournaments. Earlier in his career, he was even a long drive champion. So Woody's connection with the game and his club fitting skills are rooted in his firsthand experience on the golf course, not just in the workshop. In his Golf Yeah podcast, Woody will share the details of his life's journey, provide insights into the world of club fitting, and offer some helpful guidance for golfers who are looking to improve their scores as well as their enjoyment of the game. So, Woody, welcome to Golf Yeah. Oh, good morning, Gordon. Thanks for having me. Good morning. My pleasure. And it was good to see you at that golf tournament the other day. Sorry we got rained out, but uh, it was a lot of fun. Sure was. So I thought maybe we could start with your backstory, you know, a little bit about your family, your childhood, your schools, that sort of stuff. So I grew up in Garden City, and uh, I always tell people that's how I got involved in golf. And I was 13 years old. I told my father that uh, this is the car he's going to buy me when I turn 16. And he said, the only car you're getting is uh, one you buy and insure yourself. So I, uh, I walked down the street to Garden City Country Club. Didn't know anything about golf. My parents didn't play golf, but I heard, you know, it was a good job. So I sat in the caddy yard, and after a couple of days, I got out, and I liked being out there. I liked the money. I liked, enjoyed it, and I got hooked on golf. Did you have a teacher, or are you self-taught? I'm pretty much self-taught. I mean, I've taken a lot of lessons over the years, but when I was younger, only one that ever really helped me with my swing when, in my teenage years was the, the club champion there. Um, I had got lucky enough to get his bag. I guess they thought, he thought I was good. <laughs> so I caddied for him for, uh, I think, five or six club championships. And he's the only one that ever really helped me with my game when I was a, a teenager. As I got older, I, I realized that instruction was really important. And I've you know, had a bunch of instruction. But when I was younger, no professional instruction. Was there a player on the tour that you tried to emulate or you thought was a sort of swing that you wanted to uh, adapt? No, not really. I mean... You know, think about back then, the only way you could really watch golf was, you know, was live. And I was caddying. <laughs> so I wasn't watching that much golf. Yeah, that's true. Were you on a golf team at all in high school? or? So that, Very interesting. When I was in high school, uh, my senior year, I knew I couldn't play on the team because I was working. I was working at, at Pete's Golf and I was also caddying. But I wanted to see how my skills were. And so I went to the, the high school qualifying. I qualified first of the people that were trying to qualify, not the people that were on a team. And the coach was like, oh, it's great to have you on a team. And I said, well, you know, I'd love to be on your team, but i got to work. And he wasn't too happy with that. But many, many, a few, uh, I went back and forth in school. A few years later, 
it's a long story, but I ended up my last two years at NYIT having a golf scholarship. Oh, okay. Okay. So I think you answered my next question, which was how you got started with Pete's Golf. It sounds like you were working there in high school. Is that correct? Yeah. So I was, you know, before I was driving, I, after I started caddying, I wanted to learn to play golf. And my mom had seen this small little golf store. It was the size of maybe a, a net that you would go into today. And so I went in there and there was Pete and I got my, bought my first set of golf clubs from him. I liked him. I went in a few times. I was interested in, you know, what was being done. You know, back then it was wooden woods and blade irons. And he said to me one day, oh, I need someone, you know, to help me, you know, do deliveries. He had a big wholesale business. And so I got, I just got my license. I started doing that. And eventually I learned how to start, you know, building golf clubs. So, and Pete's the one who taught you? Initially, how to uh, yes, clubs. yeah, he's, he's the one who taught me how to yeah. He had worked for a an old uh, golf pro named Joe Phillips, um, who had his own store, and that's where he learned the craft of you know w- really was wooden woods. We didn't know anything about fitting. We didn't know anything about shafts or heads and center of gravities and all the things that we talk about today. It was really more about look. How does it look? And you know. Can I get the, the right grain in a cement wood to make it feel the best, feel the most solid? There was no technology at all involved in it. Yeah. So correct me if I'm wrong, but is Pete quite a bit older than you are then? If he was running the store when you were in high school, there must be some gap there. Yeah, he is uh, nine years, like eight and a half years older than me. So he was a young guy. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. So he must have started the store right out of what, high school or college or very interesting. He started working for this gentleman, Joe Phillips, about the same age I started working for Pete. And then he, he was in college and he was, you know, he was trying to pay his bills and working for this guy. And the, it's a long story, but the guy had been, he was a golf pro at a, a range. He came back to the store. I didn't need Pete anymore. Pete was like, but I need a job. And a lot of the golf pros that he'd been doing work for said, we like you way better than we like him. Why don't just, we'll do the work for us. So he started, you know, doing it, you know, he was 21 or 22 in his basement. And then, you know, in 1979 is when he opened the store. Actually, it might have been 78. He might have incorporated in 79. But, yeah, he was a young man. Wow. Now, Pete's Golf has been in business for 40 years now, correct? How does a company stay in business that long? I mean, most companies fail within the first two years. So you're, you're kind of the exception to the rule here. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty proud of it, of it being 40 years. I think the big thing is that, We've always put the customer first. So when a customer comes in, I think a lot of times people see him as a dollar sign. Oh, how much can I make off this customer? We don't look at it that way. What can we do for this customer to help them play better golf and enjoy the game of golf better? And by doing that, we've built a reputation amongst golfers and amongst golf professionals that we're the place to go to get good, honest advice. And I think that's that's the main key that's kept us in business for 40 years is that simple philosophy of taking care of the customer first. There's a lot of other things involved, I would think. You know, we've always had a quest for knowledge, a quest for how can we do what we do and do better. And so, and we have changed our business over the years as we've learned we could do this better. Ah, this technology over here, we can understand this and do it, help our customers better. We have evolved over time. Again, you know, that first store, which was wooden woods and blade irons, and we didn't know anything about fitting. I always tell people the story of the first real launch monitor that came out. There was some launch monitor. The first real launch monitor came out, which is a company called Swing Dynamics. And I was just, I was just working at the store. I wasn't, hadn't gotten 
ownership yet. And I found this, I was at the PGA show, I found this guy having this launch monitor. And he said, listen, I'll tell you what, I'll put it in your store for a month. And if you don't like it, I'll take it back. And if you like it, then we'll figure out how to pay for it. And it was $20,000. And I heard Pete going, what are, we, what are you doing? You can't, you know, he was so mad at me. <laughs> and we had it for a week. And I kind of had avoided him for a week. And then after the week, we sat down to have a meeting. He said, okay, how are we going to figure out how to pay for this? Because we have to have it. <laughs> That's funny. So talk a little bit about your path to partnership. You're working there as a high school kid and Pete's got this store. And how long was it before, you know, it became evident that, A, yeah, you were going to stay there and B, Pete realized that he needed you? Well, you know, so I'm dyslexic. So school was brutal for me. So I kind of went to college, dropped out. So I'm there all along. I'm working at Pete's. I finally got that golf scholarship. It really helped me get my degree. I'm an engineering degree. And I got a job doing that. And I, boy, I did not like it. So I went back to work for Pete, and I'm like, okay, I really like this. Took me, you know, probably a year or two or so after that was over, and I, and I sat him down. I said, you know, I believe I'm a real big part of this business. I think we can work some, but I, I don't want to be at my age now, 53 years old, and uh, not have some skin in the game. And so he agreed. We kind of went back and forth to lawyers and everything like that. I, I wasn't going to do it unless we could be, you know, full partners. And it's tough for someone, right, when it's, you know, it was their baby starting it. But we have two different skill sets, and I think he realized that. And I think they realized that he had a great skill set to start the business, and he has some incredible people skills and working with people skills. But he needed someone, the things that I was doing for him and kind of running the inside of the business and my ideas and stuff like that, he knew that would, that would be a great fit together. And so he said yes, and I think if he was here today, he'd tell you that's probably the, the best decision uh, that he ever made in business. <laughs> okay. And I'm very fortunate that he agreed because, you know, had he not, I would have probably gone out on my own, and, you know, who knows if I would have, uh, have survived or not. Yeah. And by the way, you belong to a club, a very large club of successful business people with dyslexia. I think even someone like, <laughs> no, seriously, I mean, I know that Charles Schwab, for example, you know, the namesake of the large financial services company also has dyslexia. And there's, an, there's several people who, and I think it's because you feel this need to overcompensate for what you feel is a, a shortcoming. And uh, it's not really a handicap for many people. Yeah. So you've proven that. So let's talk a little bit about uh, how sensitive is Pete's Golf to the U.S. economy, for example? I mean, did you struggle during the last recession back in 08? I mean, we had to do things differently. There's no question when the economy is good and, you know, golf clubs are expensive. It's expensive sports. So when the economy is not good, there's less people playing golf, less people spending money on golf clubs. So we did have to adapt and change the way we do things. Um, so we've seen it a couple of times where the economy has gone south and, you know, it almost means you have to, you know, maybe lay a few guys off and, you know, work a little harder and, you know, but again, we've been fortunate we've been able to make it through, you know, all of those downturns in the economy. Yeah. Now, how many people do you employ currently? I think we have 15 right oh, now. Okay. So you have a shop in Mineola on Long Island, and you also have a showroom in New York City in Manhattan. Is that correct? It's a fitting studio in Manhattan, yes. So in the Mineola location, we do everything. We fit clubs. We build clubs. And the, the location in the city, which is located inside uh, Golf and Body, which is a uh, private club. It's an indoor private club. The only service you can use as a non-member is our uh, fitting service. There, we strictly pretty much do fittings. We do some loft and lie stuff, but it's pretty much all fittings. Okay. It's a pretty interesting story, actually, how we got involved 
with Golf and Body because the owner of Golf and Body, when he opened up that location, he knew of us. I didn't know him, but and he came in. I went for a tour of this with cement walls. When I went for a tour of it, and we talked about you know how we could get Pete's Golf to come in there, and you know the economics of the situation just simply didn't work. Came back a few years later and said, you know, I had this one guy in there. I I really want you in there. And again, we talked economics, and I just couldn't get it to work. And a few years later, he came and he said, listen, I need what the reputation you guys have is what I need at my at my facility. And what will it take? And I said, well, we could do this and this. He said, done. I need you guys. And it's worked out great. I think, you know, again, our philosophy of trying to help the, the client play their best possible golf, in his case, it works very well with that whole program because that's a, a team approach, right? So for the membership, you've got golf instruction, you've got training, you've got physical therapy, you've got sports psychologist, every aspect of golf that can be covered and we really thrive in that situation where we're as a team we can say well you know you're trying to get them to do this the equipment needs to do this you can't do that you have to, it's a just a phenomenal place to for us to be yeah how does the golf equipment market break down in terms of uh, segments i mean is it mostly sold online or through sporting goods stores or the greengrass market what do you have an idea of how it slices and dices you know what? I, I'd be lying to if I know it off the top of my head. I do have seen the numbers. It, Greengrass is a pretty high percentage, but I don't think the online sales are nearly what they are in other, in other businesses because people want to touch and feel it, and you know they want to get fit for it. You know, very interesting. I always tell people when I graduated college, I became a partner at Pete's. I wanted to be a member of the PGA, and back then, you know, PGA said, "Well, club fitting is voodoo." You know, club building is not a PGA thing, and you're off course. So, yeah. Today, I have two PGA golf pros that I employ. So, they embrace it, and if I was starting out today, I would certainly be a member of the PGA because they've embraced it. But we had a battle of trying to get people to understand that we can help you play better by doing fitting. Now it's in vogue, and it almost, I think, the term gets used to become, oh, I got fit, and we go, no, you didn't get fit, you got sold. And because the... You know, the big box store and the any good retailers, they're trying to find a way to sell golf clubs. But that's not really fitting. Yeah. So I mentioned Golf Tech in the introduction. When did they come along? I mean, you guys had been in business doing fittings, true fittings, for quite a while before those guys jumped in the pool, correct? Yeah. And again, probably started doing, well, we moved to a second location from that first little store that Pete had in 81. And then we moved to the location we are now in 80. So when we moved to that second location, we had our first net, and we started doing our first fittings. You know, until recently, there weren't any big chains that did fitting. You know, it's about Golf Tech. Golf Tech is, it was more instruction. I think they still are much more instruction than they are fitting. Who's the big fitting chain? There are a couple out there, right? There's three major national chains. There's uh, Cool Clubs, Golf Tech, and Club Champion. Okay. Those are the three major national fitting brand have they hurt or helped your franchise i think it's helped because i think it's they've done a good job of getting the word out there that you know they fitting will help and you know if people didn't do they do their research they check our reviews they see us and if they're in our area they come in it's certainly our business has done well so i have to say it's helped now did any of those companies come knocking at your door to acquire you when they started up 
Sure did. Okay. So, and it sounds like you turned him down. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, I love what I do and I'm passionate about what I do and I, I want to do it a certain way. And we talked to a couple of what well, came to us, a couple of them and, you know, their philosophy and our philosophy didn't, it, it wouldn't work. Yeah. So you mentioned reviews and I've gone on your website and I'm, I got to tell you, I'm very impressed with the volume and the strength of the reviews that you have. What happens when you get bad review? Do you ever get them and, and how do you handle them? Well, fortunately, we don't get them very often, but we do get them. The first thing we do is we figure out what happened, why did the, was the client unhappy, what happened here, and then we reach out to that client and you know we try to, to do something to make them you know be satisfied. I actually have got a bad review a couple months ago and the, the customer basically said to us, well, I didn't like what happened here and if you don't do, you know, give me something free, I'm going to get a bad review. <laughs> I said, you know what, I'll take the bad review. <laughs> and well, the problem was we were trying to do the right thing for this customer. And there was a problem with the company. They delivered a product. We didn't agree. with It wasn't built to the specifications we asked for. We sent it back. The company sent it in, you know, and it was a little bit of a delay. And we explained this to the customer. This is why we're doing it. We have these clubs here. We could give them to you, but they're not right. And that wasn't good enough for them. So... But, you know, there's cases where people have left, you know, bad review and they had a very valid complaint. I like to think that if we get to something before that happens, but, you know, the world of reviews is very interesting. You can try and do the right thing by someone and they just know that the power of reviews and they get mad at you and give you a bad review and um, you just have to keep going. Yeah, it comes with the territory. You can call them up and talk to them if they're not going to be reasonable. You know, I know that every single day we do the best that we can to help our clients. We can screw things up just like everybody else. If we do, we try to make that the best we possibly can to make it yeah. right. So why isn't the company named Pete's and Woody's Golf? You know, it's an interesting story. When I bought the bought my share of the business, the corporation name was Big Game Golf. And he did not have a DBA for Pete's Golf. And the lawyer junk, uh, joked, he goes, well, we're going to have to name it Woody's Golf. I don't need to have my name on the top of the billing. You know, Pete said to me, listen, Pete's golf is great. It doesn't need to change. You know, I know that half it's mine. I put my blood, sweat, and tears into that business. But I think, honestly, if you asked Pete if he went back in time, he wouldn't have named it Pete's golf. He would have named it something else. Well, have a Because some people come in, I want to speak to Pete. Well, <laughs> right. So, well, listen, you have a solid brand now. So you're in your 50s. Pete's in his 60s, probably. Is there an exit strategy or a plan to transition to some other generation of owners? Yeah, you know, we, we've got a long-term plan that we're working on. We've got one gentleman that works for us that maybe we can transfer into, you know, transition into being a partner. You know, that would be the plan is to try and, whether it's him or someone else, younger generation, because, you know, the goal here is to have the, the business continue on doing what it's doing. I don't want to just give it away and have it be ruined by somebody that's not going to do the things that, that we've done. And so it's not easy. We've, Pete and I have talked about it. I mean, I think the nice thing is that we're both passionate about it, and I don't see us uh, going anywhere anytime soon because we love what we do. You know, I always tell people that I'm very lucky. I love what I do. I love to go to work every day, but I don't make the money that some of my friends make, so I'm going to have to work. <laughs> I can't retire and then Pete's in the same boat. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your craft. What are the advantages of purchasing fitted club versus off the shelf? 
you know, the old line we used to say, if you're going to go buy a suit, would you just buy a suit off the rack or would you go and have it altered for you and fitted for you? You know, golf is probably the hardest sport that you're ever going to play. So having a piece of equipment that is going to give you the best chance to succeed is critical. I'll use this. I've got a bunch of stories, but I have one great story where a customer comes in to me, and he was probably at times 60 years old, and I was 30 years old. And he said, listen, I'm a 30 handicap. You can't help me play better golf. I've taken lessons. I have done all this stuff. But all my friends say I, I should come to you guys. I need second second clubs because I'm getting a house in Florida, so fit me for a set of golf clubs. I said, okay. So I fit him for a set of golf clubs. And he, six months later, he comes in and he said, I need a second set of clubs. I'm like, why do you need a second set of clubs? He's like, well, my handicap dropped from 30 to 23. And the only thing different I got did was get the golf clubs. And I went and tried to use my old clubs and I can't hit the ball. And the more talent you have, the more you can overcome having the wrong equipment. So if you're a super talented golfer, you might have you know something in your bag that isn't working for you, but you can figure out a way to get some results. However, if you're not that talented, you can't adjust, you can't overcome having that wrong piece of equipment and the right piece of equipment for whatever reason it is, size, shaft, balance, head type, will make you perform better. And what's very interesting is that those best players, those best players are in our store all the time looking for an edge. We do a tremendous amount of work with the local golf professionals who obviously have, in this area for sure, extremely high talent when it comes to playing golf. And they know that on the driving range, they can hit anything. They can take a lefty club at their righty, turn around, right-handed, and hit a great shot with it. But under pressure, under, in a tournament situation, if they want to play their best golf, they need something that's going to fit what they do perfectly. And the, the thing about golf is we all swing the golf club differently. You just look at, go watch tour this afternoon. You don't see two swings that are identical. They're all a little different. And therefore, that player that tour players all using something different, but it applies to the average golfer who's going out and just trying to hopefully maybe break 100. They're all doing it differently, and therefore they all need different, have different equipment needs. Yeah. Now, are there schools that teach club fitting, or are there some kind of, is it always an apprenticeship sort? I'm not aware, oh, I shouldn't say that. I think there are a few schools out there, but some of the PGM programs, I think the college programs are starting to teach it a little bit. But there's no really, there's no great school. And, you know, we learned by, you know, School of Hard Knocks. And we, as the guys, we've hired guys, we've passed on what we've learned. But there's no real school to, you know, you've got to go to a great club fitter and watch and learn. Because, again, it's so unique in that every swing is different. You can't have the same playbook and run it with every customer. Your playbook needs to be different with every single client because they all do things and have different needs. Yeah. So there's no certification process. I mean, I think the PGA America might now have a certification process, but there's nothing that interesting. Many, many years ago, I went along with a couple of guys that do what I did before the national chains. We tried to create a group of club fitters. And the problem is that all, any successful club fitter, in, for the most part, are had to really plow their own way. And so they're very strong-minded. And you put them together as a group, and it doesn't work out very well. And so we tried to form this group, and it didn't work out. Yeah. So let's say I walk into your shop, Woody, and I say, uh, I just uh, inherited some money. I'd like to 
buy all new set of clubs. What's the process? How do you start and where, where do we go? We're going to try to get you to do it one piece at a time. You try to come in and get fit for your entire golf bag in one session. We do it, especially for out-of-town guests, we do it. But it's a lot to be done. And really, the best way to do it is one piece at a time. So come in. What's the most important thing you're struggling with? Is it your irons? Is it your driver? Is it your putter? Let's start there and work our way into your entire set, but slowly. One piece today, maybe we replace them, maybe we don't. Then you come back after you played a little bit, then we work on our next piece. Yeah, again, it's every player has different needs. So I think the most important thing that we do do, though, is, if Gordon, let's say you came in and you said, Woody, I'm having a real hard time with my driver. And you've come in with your driver and you're hitting your driver. And there isn't something better. We're going to tell you, you know, we're very sorry, but you want to buy something shiny new, we'll sell it to you, but it's not going to perform any better. In other words, you tell me if my swing sucks. <laughs> okay. And then sometimes people come in and they think that their swing sucks and the equipment's so far off that they have no chance. And you change that piece of equipment and then you, you change their golf lives. Now, in the cases where you see somebody with clearly a bad swing, do you refer them to a particular pro in the area or do you give them lessons? Absolutely. So the key ingredient when you start doing a, a fitting is talk to the customer, figure out what their wants and needs are. Some people are going to say, listen, I took lessons. I'm not taking any lessons. This is what I've got. Other people will say, well, geez, yeah, I thought I might want to take some lessons. I'm not sure. And I don't personally give lessons, not what I want to do. We do have an amazing golf professional on staff in Kirk O'Gorey. And we'll, sometimes we'll just stop the thing. So we'll hold on a second. We're not doing anything here. Go see Kirk. Go work with Kirk. We have a lot of golf instructors that also send us their clients. So they will say, hey, I'm sending you Joe. And this is what I'm working on with Joe. He's doing this, this, and this. This is what I'm having a problem with. And that, by the way, is the best way we can help someone, a team approach. And I always tell people, you know, a lot of times people come in and say to me, well, you know, I feel bad coming here because I want to go to my golf professional. And, you know, golf professionals are like doctors. So I'm a club fitting professional. That's what I specialize in. If my throat's hurting me, I'm not going to go to a knee surgeon. And most golf professionals specialize in teaching. A lot of other ones specialize in running operations and running shops. But the problem is for a, if you're at a private club and you've got 300 members, you can't do enough club fitting to really get into it. You can't have every company that's around. It's just not possible. I think you can do an okay job, but we're a specialist. That's all we do, and we have everything, and we test everything, and we go through a, a very rigorous process of understanding every piece of equipment before you even come in the door. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about golf vendors. I would imagine you got a lot of manufacturers trying to persuade you to carry their line, and, and how do you decide which brands to carry? Well, I would say today it's different than it used to be. It used to be there's a lot more brands out there. There's a lot less brands out there. Most of the big brands have acquired all these smaller brands over the years, so there's not as many brands available. But today, the only sell that I get from a manufacturer is when I speak to the engineers. I'm not listening to the marketing guys. And all the sales reps we deal with know this. They come in and say, listen, you know, here's the information. They give us all the technical information on the product. They'll drop it off and let us do our testing. But I'll give you an example of something happened the other day. So 
gentleman from a big manufacturer comes in and we're in the back and we're talking and he was asked for all kinds of questions and we go back and forth for about an hour and a half and he, he leaves and one of my new guys says, you know, you talk to this guy all about the center of gravity and why they do this in all product and, you know, the future product and he said, I said, do you really need to go back to the company and tell them what you guys thought? You know, I mean, he said, come on. I said, well, he's the head engineer, so he might. <laughs> and that's simply because we've been doing this for so long. We uh, fostered a relationship with the engineers of these companies so we could understand their products better and we could understand why something should work and why something isn't going to work. As opposed to, you know, people come and say, oh, I did my research. Well, the research you did is what you found online, which is the marketing mumbo jumbo. That's not how the golf club works. It's, you know, and it's so interesting sometimes when you ask these guys about other designs, sometimes I say, I mean, I one guy said, man, that's a really great idea. I wonder if you can build it. I said, what do you mean if you can build it? Well, you know, it's a great design. It's a great, I never thought of it, but I don't think you can get the manufacturing process to build it properly. And sure enough, it took that company a couple of years to get that great design manufactured properly. So there's a lot of things that you wouldn't, insights you'd never get if you didn't have those relationships. So how many lines do you carry? Oh, that's a hard question to answer because you have, you know, I basically tell people we carry every major manufacturer. But you've got shaft manufacturers, you've got grip manufacturers. So I would say, oh, and all there's probably 50 that we deal with. What we do do is if there's a, a company out there that, that said that we didn't carry last year and we because we tested their stuff, we didn't find that was to be any better than the other stuff, and it's a lesser-known name. My philosophy is I'm looking for the best possible performing products. If your product is named uh, Gordon's Golf, and it performs the same exact way as a Tylus driver does, nobody's going to buy it because it's the same as a Tylus, but it says Gordon on it, not Tylus. Now, if your driver says Gordon on it and it outperforms the Callaway, the TaylorMade, the Tylus, the PXG, the Cobra, for, uh, the Mizuno, it outperforms all those, I'm great, I'm in. Let's get that going because it's going to help people play better golf if it's going to outperform their products. That said, you do need to understand, as far as the small manufacturers go, is that it's extremely, extremely hard for a small manufacturer to build, and it's certainly in a driver category, almost impossible, a better product, because these uh, big manufacturers have not one engineer, not 10 engineers. They have 50, 100, 150 engineers. They have $50 million R&D budgets. And the guys that they have are rocket scientists. And the biggest problem is that the USGA has all these rules to hold back innovation. So it's not like in another industry where someone can with a real innovative idea that no one else thought of and, oh, this is great. Well, because there's no rules. And you know, if you're designing a car, there's no rules. You make a better car, it's a better car. There's no one coming along saying, well, your car can only go this fast on this test. You can't make it go any faster than this because USJ won't allow the ball to come up the face any faster. You can't increase the MOI higher than this number, which is the, we'll call that the forgiveness factor. There's, the rule book on building golf clubs is huge. So it's hard. Not that it can't be done. As we're always going to look, it's harder. And I think that's why there's less and less major manufacturers out there today. So what do you and Pete uh, carry in your golf bags? What clubs do you carry? You know, it's, that's an interesting question. I always tell people 
don't go by what's in my golf bag because best for me, that's not what's Bill's best for you. Let's figure out what's best for you as opposed to what's best for me. I have up a bunch of different stuff in my golf bag from a bunch of different manufacturers because it's, it's what's going to work best for me for my game. And I play golf, as you know, you mentioned we played the other day. I love to play golf. I think it's part of being, to be good at what I do, need to be out there playing golf and trying different piece of equipment and seeing how they react. It helps me be better at my craft. So you're not going to tell me what's in your bag? I mean, if you want me to tell you, I'll tell you, but it's not relevant. I mean. <laughs> okay, that's all right. So how does a serious golfer, how often should they consider new equipment? My normal reaction is seven to 10 years. You buy a good piece of equipment, you'll last you seven to 10 years. You got to change the grips every year. If you change your golf swing, if your body changes for some reason, you hurt yourself or you start a new workout regime, then it would be time to come take a look. doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to change something, but good golf equipment should last a long, long time. Well, let me give you an example of something that frustrates me. The year before last, I bought an Epic Flash. Then the next year, I mean, an Epic, rather. And then the next year, they come out with the Epic Flash, which makes me feel as though my Epic is no longer effective. So is there any meaningful difference between the Epic and the Epic Flash? for example? There are differences, so that they've done a lot of testing. Some players come in, and we found out that the actual Epic was better for them than the Flash. Flash, they shift it over a little bit. It's a little better for a little different player. There are players that we've changed it, and you get that golf junkie that, you know, has to have, every year, he's got to have the newest equipment. You need to understand, these major manufacturers have to sell golf clubs, and they've got to market golf clubs, and the only way for them to do that is in the driver world is to have a new driver every year. You've got your TaylorMade, your Callaways, your Cobras that are going to change their driver every year no matter what. You've got other companies like Titleist, which is a two-year product life cycle, Ping, which is a year-and-a-half product life cycle. And so you can, you know, as a consumer, you know, hey, listen, if I buy a Callaway driver, they're going to have a new one coming out next year. Is it going to be that much better? It might not be better for your game. It, could it be better? I mean, the marketing materials are going to tell you, oh, it's you have to buy this. You can't possibly use that old Epic. Right. And it's not the case at all. Okay. That makes me feel a little bit better. So what is the biggest misconception or misunderstanding that the average golfer has about golf equipment? I would say the biggest misconception is that the golfer comes in, I'm not good enough to get fitted for golf clubs. I'm not consistent enough to get fitted for golf clubs. And that's not the case at all. Usually that player, you can help more than you can help the lower handicap because, again, they can't adjust to that equipment if it's wrong for them. Talk to me about golf balls. I mean, it's almost like buying beer. There's so many brands, you just don't know what to pick. So what are the guidelines? My simple – I get my golf ball soapbox. There's two kinds of golf balls you can buy today. You can buy a urethane ball. That's going to find that urethane-covered golf ball. Any premium golf ball, Tylos Pro V1, Callaway Chrome Soft, Tailmate TP5, Bridgestone 330, they're all made with urethane covers. As long as you're using a urethane cover, I'm good. If you're using a Surlon or an Onimer cover, I am not good. And the reason why that is, if you take a robot and put a robot at 30 yards, almost all of those urethane covered balls will land on top of each other. They're very consistent. The cover allows them to be consistent around the green. Use that Sterling and Aon recovered golf ball. The robot can't hit the ball in the same place every time. 
If the robot can't, how are you going to do it? That said, there's a lot of great golf balls out there today. The, um, whether it's a Tylus or a Callaway or a Tailomate or a Bridgestone, they're great golf balls. And if you're on a budget, there are companies like uh, Snell and Vice that make urethane-covered golf balls for less. And if you, so you want to know what in my bag? I mean, I've been playing a Tylus probably one since they came out. But again, as long as using urethane-covered golf ball, I'm good. Okay. So do you have any funny stories, uh, any club fitting stories you want to share? Yeah, so I guess the, my favorite club fitting story is that the first U.S. Open came out to Bethpage, and uh, the USGA asked us, they said, well, you know, the tour trucks are there to Wednesday night. What if, if someone needs something fixed on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, can you be around to do it? Which is really cool, got to be there behind the ropes. So David Frost says, hey, I want to, he plays Thursday, I think he should 72. And I want to bend my irons. So he comes into the store and he's like, listen, I have my own machine. Would you mind if I use your machine? We're like, go ahead, David, start bending your clubs. So I'm, I'm looking at what he's doing. I'm watching him, what he's doing. And I look at Pete and Pete just grabs me. He's like, don't say anything. Don't say anything. This is David Frost. He's playing the U.S. Open. And I couldn't help myself. I said, David, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? He's like, well, I'm looking at the ball. I'm bending them flatter. I'm going to, that's not going to help you. Like, what do you mean? I took him in the net. I explained to him, you know, why he shouldn't be doing what he was doing. And he ended up leaving his clubs alone. Well, he goes and he misses the cut. Shoots 78 or something like that the next day. And I'm like, uh, Pete's like, you know, Woody, you, you ruined this poor guy. So he calls me up Saturday morning. He's like, hey, can I come to your store? You need to explain to me why what I was doing was wrong and what you think I should do. So I was busy doing fittings all day. So I, he had him come in in the afternoon. I, he came in at like 3 o'clock, and I think we went out to the golf course, and it was dark by the time we were done. He had ended up having like three top tens the next three weeks, and then he was calling me every day because I found that he was a little bit of an equipment junkie. But it was pretty cool to, you know, because I explained to him why he shouldn't be doing what he was doing and how he's adjusting, and it certainly made a difference. Yeah, well, that's cool. So listen, what is the number one piece of advice – that you give to golfers about their swing or their equipment or the game itself? I don't give swing advice. <laughs> I only give, uh, give club advice. And I don't have a number one piece of, <laughs> of advice. You don't find yourself saying something over and over to people day after day? You know, the guys in the store tease me that I have this one saying where I tell people that, you know, the golf shaft doesn't know how fast it's going. It knows how much a force you're applying to it. So you could have you know, no speed and be pouring a lot of force to the shaft and a lot of speed and not pouring a force to the shaft. So I do say that on a regular basis. But again, every fitting is so different. I'm not, I want people to play their best and enjoy the game that I love so much, as much as they possibly can. So here's my last question, Woody. I've kept you a long time this morning. Who or what has been your greatest source of personal inspiration over the course of your career? You know, it's interesting. I don't believe in having like a sports hero. I love sports and have a sports hero. But um, my wife had a heart transplant seven years ago. I got to meet Eric Compton. If you know who Eric Compton is, Eric Compton has had two heart transplants. And he's played on and off the PGA Tour for 10 years. Now he's on the Corn Ferry Tour right now. And knowing how difficult it is for the regular heart transplant patient to go through life, to be able to perform at that level taking those drugs you have to take to keep you alive it is amazing to me. I got to meet him. I was scared because I'm like, oh, what if he's not a good guy? And he was better than a good guy. He was an amazing guy. And 
that's someone I look up to because he's doing something. People have no idea how the odds are stacked against him because of those drugs that he's got to take to, to stay alive. So is your wife okay now? We're seven years and counting. We've had a very, very bumpy road, but we're going forward and we're very, very happy she's alive. There's 17 deaths and four generations in our family. I've lost two brother-in-laws to that heart condition. So changes your perspective on life. I always thought I had good perspective on life, but it definitely changed your perspective on life. Yeah, that's good to hear. So listen, I really appreciate your spending time this morning. And am I going to see you out at the Beth Plage Black? Next? I think you might. I wasn't planning out, but I think I might. I, you certainly might see me out there. Yes. Okay. Well, great. Love the Black. Okay. Well, maybe a little old for it, but I love the Black. Maybe you can take a look at my equipment while I'm out there. <laughs> more than happy to have you come by if you want to have us go through your equipment. More than happy. Okay. I'm going to do that. Thanks again, Willie. Thank you so much, Gordon. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Yeah, featuring another success story from the business side of golf. Maybe it's time to get more serious about making golf the center of your life, not just the highlight of your weekend. Head over to golfyeah.com for more great content, including show notes, testimonials, and links to valuable resources. That's G-O-L-F-Y-E-A-H.com. 